everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Amelia Roberts. Uh, she's a strategic partnership expert who runs her own company, Solutions by Amelia, and she uh, is on today to talk about um, what, I mean, one of the overarching topics we're going to talk about today is like human focus experiences and why that is important right now, especially in, um, in marketing and sales and how that can be a differentiator. I did have a past speaker on a few weeks ago, Chantal Marcel, and we talked about community building. And I think this is also a good supplementary conversation to talk about why human-based experiences matter. And we're going to use it through an angle of leveraging micro-influencers. Um, and so I, I think as we start to kick it off, can you, uh, can you Amelia, just uh, talk through what you're doing at Solutions by Amelia, your background, maybe how you got to where you are today, and why you're so focused on human-focused uh, experiences. So um, we'll start with that last question, and then hopefully you'll keep me honest to answering the others. But um, so I'm a registered nurse by trade and um, always had very entrepreneurial um, passions and leanings. Um, my dad, while he was living, was very entrepreneurial. Uh, my uncle was a jazz musician. My cousin, his daughter is in photography. So it was like always in my blood. And I was in the back of my head, like I definitely wanted to do something to support businesses in a way that um, created impact and um, kept humans in the center. Because in, as my role in a nursing, every time that there was a process that didn't consider the end user and the person and the human condition, it never worked out well. And wouldn't you guess it, in business, as I started working with corporations and NGOs and other larger organizations, um, when there were processes or systems that didn't include the end user, guess what? So just started to notice like <laughs> that pattern of things that just, you know, started to happen around um, the benefit of keeping humans at the center of things. And so with some Solutions by Amelia, um, my focus is supporting organizations with strategic partnerships, whether they are micro-influencer campaigns or um, virtual speaking tours or podcast tours or um, leveraging other people's audiences and communities in other ways to extend brand awareness um, it just became sort of like something that was started to develop naturally. I started doing um, all of this, doing social media management, um, not because I was some Gary Vaynerchuk or anything like that, but um, I knew a little <laughs> bit more about, um, you know, social media and scheduling and whatnot more than other people that I was helping. And, um, and so that's how I got my first few, you know, contracts that way. And um, I started presenting to small businesses. And then from there, somebody who had a connection with the NGO said, you know, they need help redoing their um, curriculum for entrepreneurs, started working from that, learned so much, and, um, and then started working with um, an opportunity. I think even before that came up with the health department, they wanted to get health messages, um, specific health messaging out to a population using micro-influencers. And so working on that campaign um, brought me into contact with um, 
a lot of different interesting things. So um, I don't know if that exactly answered your question, but no, that's um, perfect. Yeah. One one thing that stands out to me is okay. So it's really interesting that you used to be a nurse. So and I always find it uh, really interesting to hear the story about people's like second lives. Like they started out in one profession and then moved to another. What was that tipping point for you? Like what was the reason <laughs> to get out of nursing? Did you have a family, or were you starting a family, or was there so, any big changes that? Yeah, Yes, 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 yes. So to be clear, I still have a foot in healthcare. I'm not at the bedside and slash, you know, not all nurses do blood pressure and stuff, but um, <laughs> I, I'm no longer at the bedside, but I definitely will always have a foot, I feel like, in healthcare. Working in an industry that still relies on the fax machine it keeps you humble and keeps you <laughs> grounded. And it's it's just a mute, beautiful to be quite honest, it's such a weird way, but it's nice to be grounded in that, you know, in an industry that still uses fax machines. And also they love, they're talking about AI and they're talking about online appointment <laughs> scheduling. And it's just, it's just so many contradictions in one amazing industry. But in any case, um, so, so long story short, nothing grand. Um, I was in a position where I didn't want to work extra hours. I didn't want to work mm. overtime. I didn't want to work nights or weekends, but um, I had student loans. I have student loans. And so my entrepreneurial bug, I guess, manifested into full blown flu or disease. I don't know. But in any case, I just couldn't keep <laughs> that side of me um, under wraps. And so that's when I started to think, you know, what do I enjoy doing? I enjoy connecting with people. Um, I'm a digital native. Um, and again, I know how to use social media, you know, better than other people. Um, true, there is a myth with people who are digital natives, I did have to learn how to use social media for more than cat videos and <laughs> connecting with friends. That's a different skill set entirely. But um, so I, you know, took courses and classes to learn that skill set. And again, working with these organizations, they already had their guidelines too. So um, that kind of shortened the learning curve with that. But it really came um, out of a desire to pay off student loans. And then after I was able to pay those off in under two years, I started to say, you know what, is this just a thing that met its end or are there other organizations to impact? And there were. Yeah. I love that. Um, I think that out of necessity, I always think that sometimes like when you are faced or, you know, with something like, you know, a bunch of your student loans, or maybe <laughs> like there's a situation, I think a lot of people saw this with COVID yeah. is like, okay, how do we, how do we, overcome this like what do we do and that's one thing I love about women too is like we're just resilient we'll find a way we're gonna do something and sometimes that even leads you down a path of like maybe finding a new passion so I think that mm -hmm. that's really inspiring for people to hear but um, I, let's switch to the main topic of today. And actually, before we even, I know you're going to chat through how to leverage um, micro influencers um, through the lens of help, how you helped one of your clients. But for some of our listeners, they might be, you know, okay, I know what an influencer is. And I know like that maybe I see them on like my Instagram or LinkedIn yeah. when they have a ton of followers, but what is a micro influencer? And can you chat about like what, what is the way that people can like leverage that in terms of helping them on the marketing or sales side? So micro influencers, it's really helpful to first think about um, what is marketing? So, um, so marketing <laughs> versus sales versus PR, just to recap, um, PR gets you seen, marketing gets you leads, sales gets you paid pretty much just essentially. Um, 
micro-influencer campaigns sort of follow more closer to the digital PR or PR um, sense of that um, continuum than marketing. And, and it's a little bit of that, depending on how the influencer campaign is used or how you guys mm-hmm. want to decide to use it. Um, so micro-influencers, like, what are they? Well, one, what are they in the B2B context? Because a lot of times when we talk about, you know, influencers, we think about the B2C, the mom yeah. bloggers, and, you know, the Kim Kardashians of the world. And it's like, so who are the Kim Kardashians in B2B on financial <laughs> services? <laughs> we don't have any of them, and we try hard to make sure, or whatever, to make sure we don't have those. But in any case, it's more so people who already have the attention of your best buyers, your best consumers, your best referral partners who's already holding court, having communities, having webinars where people already sign up on a regular basis even. Um, They're already having conversations that get lots of engagement on LinkedIn. You know, who are these people who are being interviewed on podcasts or have their own podcasts? Um, Who are these people that already have the attention, your desired audience, that you can perhaps collaborate with in some way so that your name can start to get in front of people who already know, like, and trust them. And you can sort of warm referral, warm introduction your way in to um, the trust that they've already built up over time with their audience. Totally. Yeah. I think one of the things that excites me is I've seen the value of this like in action just this last week. So um, with through Women in Revenue, which is a group that actually introduced Amelia and I together, um, we just, you know, we at the, we have goals and one of our, our biggest like kind of drivers or uh, programs is our survey that leads to our report. And we've always like really struggled to get people to um, fill out the survey, uh, mainly because we're just going off our own kind of promotions. And then this year, um, shout out to uh, Chantel, who I mentioned earlier, and she helps us uh, with some work on Women Revenue. And she said, well, why don't we leverage like our influencers, some influencers? So myself, on the, knowing the marketing space, another one of our board members who knew the sales space, and then her being kind of touching both or more on the content space, we actually put together a list of influencers and personally reached out to them to ask them to share. And a lot of them were already part of our group. And we're almost at like 200% of our goal. We almost have 2000 survey responses. And I was, and people are like, shocked. Like, how did this happen? It happened literally on the one day we decided to say, okay, we're going to do a social takeover on LinkedIn, just like the one day on the Monday and literally went from like 200 responses or 300 to 1800 in that first day. And now we're almost nearly at a thousand, uh, 2000. So I'm just like, I think everyone needs to hear this. Like if you're a, a marketer or if you're on the PR side, it's just amazing. And a lot of these folks, um, like you said, like micro influencers, yes, they're not like millions of followers or anything, but they do have a group that really listens to them. So I think that's, that's really key. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's key. Um, I didn't specifically answer your question. Like what's defined, what defines a micro influencer versus a regular influencer, but typically it is the smaller, more niched, more engaged to be quite honest audience. And there isn't like a, a minimum number, um, of like how many followers on what platforms. And that's something that any organization decides to, you know, do their own campaign, make that definition for yourself. Um, 
a lot of marketing is testing. You might come up with a definition of what an influencer looks like. They have these requirements. They've been interviewed on X number of podcasts. Other people view them as a thought leader and they have X number of followers on this or whatnot. And you may decide to, to change those definitions, but that's just something to also consider is like they usually have at least a few thousand um, followers on a specific social media platform. But yeah, we're not necessarily talking about the the tens and twenties and a hundred thousand followers situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So for your client, what, what space were they in? And I, like you said, in the B2B, it's really hard. Like, I mean, unless it's I, marketers, it's a little bit easier because those are typically people who are come, you know, going and easily like promote themselves. But I think there are influencers in every space now, especially as people see the value of posting on, uh, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter, or like you said, having your own podcast, but for the client you were helping, what was their industry and, and how did you go about helping them figure out who those influencers are? So there's a couple of fun things about that project too, that, that came up. So they're a fortune, um, 200 company and how I found out about them or they found out about me, actually, that's how that worked was, um, they were working with a marketing agency. So I definitely, you know, when people are listening to this, don't want them to think, you know, Oh, well, I'm already working with an agency or we're already an agency. We don't need to bring that in as well, but they're already working with a marketing agency and they were part of the product marketing team and they had, guess what? A release coming out <laughs> and another new <laughs> release. And so with this release, you know, well, one, it's product marketing and it's, it's a pretty large company and they have these things that come out on a regular basis. But this release was special. It really was this time. It was, you know, different from the other ones. And, and long story short, they didn't necessarily want to throw at add money at this, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of time to let SEO to work. So, you know, as you know, you can buy traffic, you can, um, leverage SEO, or you can borrow the traffic by partnering with other people who already have, um, you know, interest around a particular topic. So for them, that's what they decided to do was to um, do that route. And internally, they've heard of micro influencers and B2B and kind of curious. And so they asked their uh, marketing partners who were working with them, um, you know, is this a thing that we could do and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't really within their skill set, but they knew me um, back to connections and, you know, collaborations. And so they said, hey, is this something that you can support our team with? And yes. And so, um, so what that looked like for them was answering that initial question, like, what does an influencer look like? What topics are they talking about? And so that's like the sort of the step one is like, so one, who do you want to get this release information in front of in a relatively short amount of time? Once they're in front of this information, what do you want them to see? You know, what does the landing page look like? How are we measuring um, traffic or measuring the results? Do we want to measure results this time by traffic? Or is there something else that you want to measure? And so those were some of the conversations that happened um, before we even started, you know, reaching out to the influencers. And um, and then from those conversations, you know, just deciding. So for this particular product release for these end users, these are some of the things that um, that are um ideal people are talking about. These are their pain points. This is what they're struggling with. This is what they're searching for. This is what they're, this is what they find interesting. And so from there, it just really became a strategy of um, who's talking about these things that these other people find interesting, who's leading those conversations, who's having those webinars, who's, um, who already has content around that topic such that inserting in 
a specific call to action wouldn't be too off um, or wouldn't be too much of a stretch rather. Um, what would be like a natural part of their conversation that they're already yeah. having with their audience? Because that also goes into the sort of the PR part of it with doing the outreach and inviting the influencers to be part of this campaign. It's like if the ask is something they'd never make in a million years, or maybe the ask is something they would make if they had more education and calls and back and forth. You know, um, I'm all about, so I have a, a little bit of sales in my heart as well, but you know, make the sale is like, or the sale as easy as possible, something easy to say yes to is also something to consider. So what are we asking the influencers? What is the ask? And what is the give? What are, you know, what do we ideally want them to give to us? So these ask gives measurements, um, you know, um, of course the ideal, um, the ideal best buyer that we're trying to get in front of their pain points are some of the initial conversations that we had. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think going in, to the project with like an idea of like what what are the conversations and what how are we going to measure that I think that's really key because I think oftentimes like people will launch a program like this and then they'll ask well how did it go or how did you you know and they're like oh shoot I didn't even think about measuring it uh so I think going in with those um already mapped out um I think is, is really key and then I think the ask is really interesting I think that's a good thing to maybe talk about because I think as we're starting when you do make an ask of like influencers right people are try probably trying to get their audience too as well like you might have like competing uh you know interest uh or people interested but like so what is how did you do that like I think that's a really maybe something that people don't really talk about but what is the way that you format that ask and how did you kind of make it about like being mutually beneficial, like for them and, but for the company as well? So my approach to all strategies, whether it's micro influencer or lead generation or business development, relationship development, it all goes back to um, how can I be a guide in somebody else's life and um, also want to credit story brand. I'm a huge fan of building a story brand. And that's what that book is really about is encouraging us to think about how are we a guide to the hero um, of someone else's story? Because we all think of ourselves as heroes trying to get to where we need to get to, to win the day. And so how can we come along as a marketer, as a sales professional, as whoever, and help that hero win? something that they already want to do. So it, it takes a little bit of time, not too much time um, to think about what winning might look like for them. And it starts with a very genuine um, question like that. You know, I think this is what winning looks like for you. I noticed that you serve this audience. I think that they struggle around this pain point and winning might look like helping to serve them to address that pain point. I don't know. Is that, am I, going somewhere with that? Is that close to what you're doing? Um, tell me more or, um, yeah, or, or tell me more. And I probably should have gone back and looked at what I said exactly to those people. And it wasn't just, I don't want people to think, oh, well, Amelia, well, you said it and, you know, um, you have a, a nice way of saying things. That must be it. No. Um, there was someone else that I had just met for this campaign. And I also gave her a script that was very curiosity-based and very them-focused-based um, approach. And she used it too. And she was also connecting 
people cold outreach over LinkedIn and saying, hey, you know, I noticed that you're serving this audience, that you've done this. Um, There's something interesting coming up. I don't know if it might be a fit for you, but would you be open to a quick call? And people were saying yes to that because it, you know, it kind of had some curiosity, but definitely let us know that we're interested in serving their shared audience, not taking their hard-earned audience away or anything like that. Yeah, no, I think this this is a really good point because I'll, I'll often get some like, I think the key thing too is like that personalization of that request too, which obviously takes a bit more time. But in the end, like you could still use that same message, but like making sure that it makes sense. Because I think sometimes I'll get these like blanketed, you know, in mails and like asking, you know, oh, can you like do this or share this? Or maybe we'd be of interest to you. And like that can scale, like scale a little bit and maybe you get some response. But I think when you really are pinpointing certain people and you make it more around, I, I love that idea of like thinking of them as like the hero and how do you get them to win? Um, and really, and for them, it's always around their audience and how they can provide value and uh, like, and content and new ideas, which can be hard to do on their own, which is why sometimes you have podcasts and you bring on speakers and you have them share their insights. And so having another avenue or something that's really going to be helpful for their audience that they're going to want to latch onto or listen to and is also unique beyond like what they're already saying, I think is really key. So I, but I, I think the approach that you're taking is like, you're really thinking through that. And then are also doing that like pers- like kind of personalized outreach. Of course, like you can make things easier for yourself, like scale it and like have kind of a script and provide them with, you know, similar kind of like prompts for them to even use, like when guide them and how they would approach it and share. But I think that ask really needs to have some true intention behind it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And um, what you had mentioned definitely a part of the the pre-planning before you do any of this is to have that in place, you know, have the content in place that you would, you know, like for them to share. Um, and there's different schools of thought um, of making it, you know, just giving them what to say and also giving them um, leeway to make it something that they would actually say as well and they feel comfortable with. So um, depending on how much time you have, I've seen both ways work, you know, like I receive, and I've also been an influencer on other people's campaigns too. So I've received content that, you know, has room for me to insert, you know, things that I would say directly and other times it's just cut and paste this. So um, with this particular one, it was pretty much, I think we allowed them to talk about, like, I think we did like a framework, like, you know, share pain point, your audience is struggling related to, the solution the product um, actually was going to talk about. And then, you know, share about how you're glad that, you know, this came on your radar because it addresses that solution. It was like, it was kind of gave them like ability to, um, to kind of customize it so that they're not also looking at a blank screen. Cause that's just, you know, we're asking them for their time and we don't want to have to make them do extra work. So, um, so it looked like, you know, social media posts for LinkedIn. Um, I believe, yeah, for LinkedIn, Twitter, and I think an email blurb as well for them to send out. And we didn't, because of the time frame crunch, we didn't necessarily um, want them to have to, you know, we didn't really have like a sending cycle of, you know, within X amount of time, we want you to send out, you know, you, you're required to, 
we didn't have like a requirement to send out, you know, you know, X amount of social media posts and X amount of emails and blah, blah, blah. Um, we didn't have that, but we did have like a strong encouragement and, you know, it'd be really great if you could do that. And long story short, because they were, um, they did use UTMs and they were measuring that way. Um, things, they hit the goals that they wanted to, which was traffic back to a specific page. Mm. And, um, in such that they really wanted to bring that effort in house, which is always, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing when you're working with an agency It's like, you know, yay, it was so good that they want to bring it in house. But, um, yeah, so definitely after that started working on training programs for other organizations. And actually, um, I have an annual contract right now working with a consumer insights company that is, um, my, I'm human focused everything. And I'm, I'm just so excited. I'm working with them because we can go off on another tangent about, oh my goodness, just how important it is to have the consumer voice at every turn in 20, yeah. going into 2022 um, is just, is just critical and, and, and not all that hard to do, to be quite honest, yeah. because um, there's just so many amazing agencies out there and um, corporations and solutions that offer on-demand insights that there'll be a stark notice between organizations that invest and ones that don't. So, um, that was a tangent. What are some of those, um, what are some of those resources to get some of those voices? Cause I think this is a new <laughs> thing for a lot of people that they're hearing. Cause like, I think it, people are realizing, oh, we need to make this shift. We need to be more human focused. We need to have the customer voice behind everything. But like, how do I do that? Where do I start? Or, or how do I even get those insights without going directly to our customers and interviewing them or something like that? So um, my perspective comes, well, I'm a little partial because I'm actually working with this company right now. Um, and That's I'm fine. Alleged, go ahead. Okay. It's good. And, yeah. um, another reason that I'm, I want to say this is my values of, um, software as a service solution has been shaped by my experience in healthcare. Um, mm. I have been part of organizations where, um, people dropped off tools post implementation and everyone's yeah. struggling to use it slash you have to hire someone to also use the tool. And I said, you know what, if I were to ever work with a software as a service company, it would not be that. So mm-hmm. with that said, um, the company I'm working with right now, name is Susie. And um, what I like about their software as a service solution is one, they own their own panel. They own their own um, panel of a million U.S. consumers. And mm-hmm. so that means that, you know, if people, you know, after they go through, um, do a study and they don't get the answers that they need the first time you know, which which happens where we're all human and we all think of things after responses start to come back, you can go right back and you don't have to reconvene, um, you know, (laughs) or want to know. It's just, it just is so easy when you think about, you know, want to go deeper than the what of the data. You want to find why it kind of um, goes deeper. And also the, the human touch, you know, um, again, been on the receiving end of a whole lot of tools that have just been dropped off and left and um, I definitely wanted to know, like, what type of human support do you offer alongside um, your clients in being successful? Yeah, no, that, that's, I think a lot of our listeners who use tech tools or have a bunch of tech in their stack and they know, like, oh, yeah, like the, the, 
the dream is sold to you in that sales process and then you get into it and you're like, wow, this is like so much or, do, you yeah. know, where do we go? What's the direction we do? And who's going to be the owner of this? And uh, we see it, you know, all the time. So all the time. No, the, um, that's great. So for everyone listening, maybe check Susie out. Um, so one of the things I like to ask people, I think it's all it's all good to hear like the success and how you did it, but also like to hear about like some of your learning um, experiences from, from doing this or even where you think that some companies are really struggling. Like maybe you see companies who maybe want to leverage micro influencers or make their marketing more human focused, but really fall short. Um, maybe either to maybe something that you've experienced was a learning or maybe something that you're seeing other people do that you think really is a, is an issue or a problem. With wanting to move so quickly, sometimes some organizations don't have pulse checks, um, built in. Um, and I've seen this happen with a brand in, um, in, yeah, I've seen this happen recently with the brand that, made a snafu. Um, and you know, we all, we're all humans. We all, you know, and I don't necessarily subscribe to cancel culture, but, um, long story short, they, something got out there and the people who needed to approve it never saw it just because Mm. this particular organization, um, grew so fast in such a short amount of time. There's literally, and that can happen so easily. That really can happen so easily. And so, um, an interesting pulse check situation would be, so what would be interesting to do is I always invite people to think about, you know, what is their um, guiding principles and values such that everyone, whether it's the workers, whether it's contractors coming in, they have the shared understanding of these specific values um, as an organization such that when ideas are floated out, it will cause a few people to probably question they're like, hey, is this the accurate representation of the values that we have, that we all understand, that we all agree with? And this also goes back to, you know, building a story brand. Now, I'm not a rep for them or anything. I probably should be, but um, <laughs> <laughs> they have this beautiful program. Um, one of their clients is Chick-fil-A. One of their clients mm-hmm. was Chick-fil-A, like early on, maybe early days. I don't know. But any case, um, so a Chick-fil-A, there's certain things that we just wouldn't expect to come out from a Chick-fil-A culture. I'll just say it Mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, not that I'm saying that um, other organizations, they all need to be Chick-fil-A. And it's just interesting that when there is that shared understanding, um, you know, it's just easy for people to sort of um, put in processes to make sure that we're all speaking to that that, uh, mission that's actually a part of us as well. Um, And I forgot your original question. I forgot your original question. Um, it was more just around what you think people are, are doing wrong. Yeah. Or, so, so, so yeah. For... Okay. So, yeah. So that snafu made me think about, you know, it's just sometimes the idea to um, keep up with the pace of change and be cutting edge. Yeah. Sometimes that pressure can, you know, get to be a little too much and um, there needs to be a pause. And um, one of the, one of the clients actually of Susie that I think I can say, well, let me just, Okay, yeah, I, I think I could say this. So um, there was a Super Bowl commercial that they wanted to, that was going to go out and something happened in the news such that it made the, internally the organization question, will this be tone deaf? And because mm. they have a ready panel of a million US consumers, they were able to um, get together an audience that might represent the average Super Bowl um, watcher 
put it out there in front of them and ask them what they thought. And using that information, they're able to um, make a decision and go forward. So, um, so yeah, those are some of the challenges that I've noticed wanting to move too fast. And those are some things I feel like might be able to help um, an organization um, deal with that as well. Yeah, that's really key. That kind of reminds me too of um, when you are leveraging micro influencers, also thinking about how like the the things that they're already promoting to their audience and how that aligns to the values of, of like your own company. Cause I think, you know, they could take whatever you're trying to get them to promote, put their own spin on it or try to relate it to like whatever, something that they're talking about. But if that doesn't actually line up to like the values or the, or the core message of what you're trying to do, that can be tough, right? You're like, Oh no, we don't want our our brand associated to that. Or, Oh, maybe that's not the way we would have said that. Um, and so maybe be really like kind of clear and honest with the influencer, but also when you're selecting those, just because someone maybe has a big audience, if it doesn't truly align to like your own brand, it it's, I would say like maybe pass and like, that's not a good fit because that's, it's always hard to control at that point. They're not working for you. They're just an extension that you're trying to leverage. So you can't really control exactly what they're saying and doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to, you know, who is an influencer, that conversation and those criteria that you guys decide to come up with. Um, that is also a consideration to think about. And, um, there, and there are people that, you know, when we first went through that list of, who's talking about these pain points, who's having the webinars and being requested, you know, by their peers to present on this topic, you know, what have they been talking about, you know, lately over the past, you know, few months. And some of those people on the list, just because of um, lots of things, I said, you know what, maybe not this time, or maybe that there was a good explanation for something that I saw that I had a question about. Um, but there wasn't really a much of any time for me to ask deeper questions. But so that's just something for other people to, to consider as well. Uh, definitely part of your requirements for, you know, what is an influencer? You know, who would be a good fit? Again, the ask and the gives that whole conversation. It's, it's more than just the ask and more than just the give. It's more than just the ask, sorry, and more than just the give too. But that also falls sort of under that um, that process as well. Yeah. Okay. So we only have a little bit of time left, but I actually, and I don't normally do this on the podcast, but I do, I, I think I would really like for you to talk about, um, you know, through solutions by Amelia, like how are you helping um, your clients? Because I think some even people on the call might be like, oh, my company needs that or my marketing team maybe needs to get connected to someone who can help us with that. How are you helping your um, your clients currently and what are the types of projects that you or, or that you would like to take on if someone maybe is interested? Yeah. 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 I really love um, supporting organizations and professionals with thinking through what collaborations make sense for them, whether it's micro influencer campaigns or maybe a podcast speaking tour, or maybe it is um, or maybe it is developing partnerships um, 
not necessarily talking about, you know, <laughs> Apple and Nike situations, but maybe it looks like, you know, a content partnership with somebody that can supply content for your email newsletter. You can supply content for their email newsletter because they already have the emails, know, like, and trust regular open rates of people that you want to get in front of. Um, what does that look like? Um, yeah. And I love imagining that with people because there's this quote from Reed Hoffman that I say all the time, and it's an amazing quote. And Reed Hoffman is, for the few people who might not know, um, he's a co-founder of LinkedIn. So he's somebody who knows a thing or two about connections <laughs> and people and businesses and all that sort of thing. But um, he has this quote that says, opportunities don't float like clouds in the sky. They're firmly attached to individuals. So if you're looking for a new opportunity, you're really looking for people. So whether it's an organization or professional who wants to grow and expand um, either deeper in the industry that they're currently in, be better known in other industries, um, try to make an impact in a hard to get into industry like healthcare, legal, financial, it usually will probably be the way of referrals and how can mm. you make referrals on purpose? Yeah. Um, it really goes back to collaborations and strategic partnerships. That really is warm introductions and referrals on purpose. There's lots of um, strategies to do that. We, we talked about a few, but that's what I support people with figuring out a solution by Amelia. I I love that. And I think for a lot of, uh, especially I see it across my clients, but I think some we're running up against, like, there's only so much like some of your paid efforts might bring in. And also it's really expensive. You have, it's more of like a spray and pray approach as much as you want to be targeted, but then that drives your cost per lead up. And sometimes it doesn't work. And why? Because this is a cold. It's just like a, a, a cold way of trying to attract your audience. But when you, you know, maybe de-invest some of the money into that where it's not working into more of these strategies that are going to give you probably better return, probably like open it up to new audiences. And like you said, in some cases, especially with healthcare or certain industries, that's not the way you would get their attention. You do need those referrals or you do need those relationships. And so realizing that, and yes, it seems like it's the harder way, but when you're working with a partner, it actually probably ends up being the easier way because you'll see that investment pay off potentially a lot faster and you actually, um, you know, get your goals. So I, I think this is a, a great list. And I'm even thinking of a few clients, so I'm going to send this to you uh, directly after we post it. But, um, but yeah, thank you so much, Amelia, for being on. Um, so for everyone who wants to get connected to Amelia, we'll be sharing a link to uh, her website, which I think is just solutionsbyamelia.com, right, Amelia? Yes, it is. Um, and then you can follow her on LinkedIn as well. And we'll include a link to, uh, her profile there. Um, and for everyone who enjoyed this listen, feel free to share with your colleagues and friends. And again, thank you so much, Amelia, for being on. Oh, thank you so much, Chrissy. This was a fun conversation. Yeah. Awesome. All right, everyone. See you on the next time uh, on forward thinking. Have a good one. Yeah.